You may or may not be aware of a group called Audio Adrenaline. You're, you're likely aware of at least one of their songs, My Father's House. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Right? And that's, that's probably the song that most of you most know them for. But if you think that defines them, <laughs> you don't know them very well. Uh, I, and I haven't, not, I'm not like an expert on audio adrenaline, but in 1992, they came out with a song called My God Died on the Cross. And in that song, they are heavy metal rockers. And you, you know what antiphonal singing is? You know, I, I think of antiphonal singing as being very pretty. You know, it's, it's, it's two choirs or two people singing to each other, so, or, you know, doing the song. So, so this side says, it's your turn to sing now. This side goes, thank you. <laughs> you know? Well, this song is the heavy metal version of antiphonal singing. So they're screaming at each other. And this one says, Buddha was a fat man. And this one says, so what? <laughs> I got it written down here. Mama thought I had a plan. I guess not. <laughs> a Hindu god is an old dead cow. You can be a god if you knew how. And then it, they start screaming. My god died on the cross. My god died on the cross. My god died on the cross. But he lives. And I, and I, thought, I thought about playing the tape, but I thought the only one here who would like it is JD. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't do that on, on the Country and Western Station, Jeremy. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, but but the, the, the words of this thing are great. My God is the only God. He's the only God that lives. He loves, he cares, he makes, he shares. It sounds like I'm doing a rap, doesn't it? An eternal life he gives. He took the pains that shook the chains that rattled all of hell. Now, you may think I'm crazy, but only time will tell. And then it goes back to Buddha was a fat man uh, and so on. There's a man over there standing on the street. He says, I'm a god, but I think he's a freak. <laughs> Many different men are just what they claim. A Mooney, a Mormon, a man from Mars. A little off track, but they have nice cars. So <laughs> it's like, I, I, I heard this song when it came out, and the only thing I could remember was, my god died on the cross, which is an awesome line. You know, it's, it's uh, and if you want to check it out, 1992, Audio Adrenaline. My God died on the cross. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the point of the whole thing is, is that uh, we live in an age, a day and an age, where everybody is supposed to think everybody's thoughts on eternity or on how to get there are as valid as everybody else's thoughts. And if you are so arrogant as to claim your way is the only way or your way is the special way, then you are, well, arrogant. Uh, self-deceived, you're foolish, and all those things. But the fact is, and this is what today's passage of Revelation points out, there is only one. In all of eternity, in all of the universe, all of ever, anywhere, there is only one. Only one. And, and if, if that's too exclusive for you, we can't do anything about it. Because that is simply what it says. And this passage uh, drives that home with a lot of other things. As we open into this passage, heaven stands helpless. Heaven is helpless, right? Heaven is helpless, and John is weeping loudly. Uh, and, and, and because there's a book, and nobody is worthy to open the book. And in all of the universe, they look through all of the universe and through all of time, and no one is worthy to open a book. And then a lion is announced. The Lion of Judah has conquered, and he is worthy to open the book. And John turns to see the lion, and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb standing as if slain. 
My God died on the cross. Right? Okay, so let's start with this. I'm going to back up and, and get back to where I just was. Revelation 5, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I'm going to stop right there for now. Just talk about this book for a minute. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about the Lamb. We're going to talk about the response of people to the Lamb. First is, is this is a significant book. That, you know, what, what is this book? We'll come back to that question. What is this book? God, John sees God, right? We, we've talked about this vision of God that we, he saw last week. We saw in chapter 4 the vision of God on the throne. We compared it to other visions of God. He sees God and he's seated, in the throne, and, seated on the throne and he's in all his glory and he's receiving praise. But now there's something new. In his right hand, there is a scroll. Uh, and so what do you think? Is God just reading to pass time? You know, as, you know Jesus is going to get his thing done until then. I, I, I think I might read a little uh, uh, Louis L'Amour. You know, it's just <laughs> a good way to pass time, right? Uh, it, obviously, that's not what's going on. This book is significant. In a vision, remember that, that significant rule, in a vision, everything is significant. Everything may not be how something physically looks, but it is everything is significant. And the first thing he says is that it is in his right hand. It's not in his left hand. He's not just holding it. He's holding it in his right hand. And the right hand is the hand of power. It's the hand of authority. It's the right hand. I met with some people this week. I was talking with them. They said, they're asking about the church. They said, so is your church right or left? <laughs> Do you think I hesitated? <laughs> I said, here's what I said. I'll, I'll give you my quote. Oh, we're right. Worse than that, we think we're right. <laughs> uh, anyway. The right hand indicates value and importance, and he's saying something about this scroll. This scroll is significant. And then he says something, and I noticed in the scripture reading, and some of your Bibles might say book instead of scroll, but the, words, the word is scroll, and it is important that we understand this as a scroll, because he describes it as being written on the inside and on the outside. And that is significant, because remember, everything in a, pro, in a, in a vision is significant. Well, what's significant about it being written on both sides? It's saying it is full. It is absolutely packed. Uh, when they, you know, a scroll by by how they are made up, they can only take up so much space because before long you end up with a, you know, a scroll that's too big to use, and so it can only be so long. And you would only write on the back side if you couldn't fit everything on the front side. And so the fact that this is written on both sides is significant. It's saying this scroll that he was holding is full. It is absolutely full, and it is packed. Uh, and then it was sealed with seven seals. And a seal on a letter, I mean, we're, we're all familiar with what an envelope does to a stamp. You know, once that envelope is on the stamp and you drop it in, only, you know, yeah, the, thank you. The stamp is on the envelope. Uh, now, I might, I might see it's addressed to Joan and open it, trusting that she's not going to prosecute me. <laughs> and I'm not sure she can in a community property state, but, but maybe she could because the, the, that stamp on the letter says it's for her and nobody else has a legal right to open it. Well, that's what a seal did. The seal, it was designated to somebody, it was stamped by somebody, and it is only authorized to be opened by the person to whom it is addressed, the one who is 
has the right to open it. I was going to say worthy, but I was, I'm going to say the person who has the right to open it. Well, this scroll is sealed, but it's not just sealed once. It's sealed with seven seals. And again, seven in prophecy is a number of completion. Seven days of creation and God rested. It's a number of completion. It's a day of perfection. What it's saying is this scroll is completely and perfectly sealed. Only someone who has the right to open this scroll can open the scroll. And what we're finding is nobody can open this scroll. Nobody has the right to open the scroll. There is no getting into this scroll by the right person, and the right person has not been found and apparently cannot be found because the angel cries out, Who is worthy to open the scroll, to, 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 to break the seals? To, excuse, I'll get the quote. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And it's a mighty angel that proclaims this with a powerful voice. You know, he's not saying that, Anybody able to open the scroll? <laughs> it's, it's not Barney Fife standing there, you know, doing it's, it. This is a mighty angel, and he is proclaiming it loudly so that this is, this is not a chance the offer is being missed. It's not in some distant corner somewhere where, where a few people hear it and others don't. This mighty angel is proclaiming to, to creation. Who, he's, he's asking the question, who is ever able to open the scroll? It's not a limited search. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open the scroll. In heaven, no angel or spiritual being. Michael the archangel is not worthy to open the scroll. Gabriel, who took the message to Mary about Jesus, is not worthy to open the scroll. The, 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 no, no one in heaven is worthy to open the scroll. No one on earth, no living person is able to open the scroll. No one is found worthy. And when it says, and under the earth, no one who ever has lived... No one from the past. No Moses, no Daniel. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? You know, Jesus and James and John and Andrew go up on the, go up on the mountain. Uh, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus. And they're up on the mountain, and Jesus is transformed before them like blazing light. And they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus there. And Peter pops up, and he says, Hey, I have an idea. Let's make a tabernacle for Jesus and for Moses and Elijah. Uh, what's he doing? He's equating Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Well, you know what? Moses, the giver of the Ten Commandments, the one who led the people out of Egypt, the one who said, let my people go, is not worthy to open the scroll. If he was worthy to open the scroll, then the angel would have said, oh, there he is. You know, Elijah, the one who Jesus said he's going to come back before the great and terrible day of the Lord uh, in the Old Testament, it's prophesied like that. And Elijah, the one that they all said, they, in fact, they, they, even when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And everybody says, what's he doing? Is he calling to Elijah? Right? They said, maybe Elijah is going to appear. They had high expectations of Elijah, but he's not worthy to open the scroll. You cannot equate, you know, Buddha. No, he's not worthy to open scroll. Confucius, Muhammad, uh, whatever Hindu people, you know, gurus, nobody was found worthy to open the scroll. They looked, they tried. No one was worthy to open the scroll. No one qualified. No one had the right to do this. And, and they tried and they looked. And John wept loudly. He doesn't tell us what this book is. He doesn't tell us why. I mean, I'm sorry. If you have a book... And you can't open it. I'm going to say tough to be you. You know, it's like I don't. I don't care about your book. It's a book. You know, go find another book. Read another book. It's not. John sees this. He, he doesn't. He doesn't even tell us what the book is. I don't know if John knew what the book was, but he knew this was a significant book, and it matters so much to him that he weeps loudly that this book cannot be opened. 
Whatever it is, he is grief-stricken. What we find is that this book matters. So what is this book? I say all this stuff. What is the book? You know, the funny thing is, 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 you know, when you do this kind of thing, you have to read what other people say about it in case you're just too much of a fruit loop. But uh, I'm sorry. I read what the book said, and I disagree with them, so I don't care. Uh, most commentators seem to think that the scroll, the book that he wants to open, is the prophecy yet to be read in the book of Revelation. And, and it's, by that, they don't mean merely the words, but the fulfillment of the prophecy. It can't happen unless someone is worthy to open the scroll. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. It, but, you know, it doesn't sound fulfilling to me, especially when I know there's a whole other answer that is consistent with the book of Revelation and makes much more sense with one who has to die to be worthy of opening the scroll. So let's turn real quickly to Revelation chapter 20. You know, if you want to understand the start of the book, sometimes, you know, you know how it is when you read a book and, and, and th there's all sorts of things that you go, huh, I, I don't know, I don't know, but you read it the second time and everything falls into place. Well, when you read this for the second time, you get to Revelation 20 and you start at verse 11 and you find a very significant book. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the book of, of the lake of fire. That is a book worth crying about. That is a book worth weeping over. That is a book that can only be opened by one who has earned the right. And how do you earn the right to the book of life but by conquering death? And only one had ever done it. And so I'm just going, this, I don't understand how anybody who is thinking they can write a commentary on Revelation doesn't get that answer. I mean, the other, the other answer is fine, but it seems really unsatisfactory compared to this one. In my mind, maybe I'm just too shallow, I don't know, but, but it makes sense to me that the book John is weeping over, this book that is being held by God himself, that God himself does not open. I mean, if they're calling, if the angel is standing in front of God saying, oh, who is worthy to open the scroll? Why doesn't God open the scroll? Because God has not paid with his life to have the right to open the scroll. And, and you go, how can you say God was not worthy? Well, I'm not saying he wasn't good enough. <laughs> you know, but Jesus Christ died on a cross. My God died on a cross. And when he did that, he earned the right to open the book of life. That no one else, anywhere, anytime, in all of the universe, in all of infinity, has ever earned the right to. Only Jesus. Good book, good Savior, huh? Let me read on a little bit, verses 5 and 6. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Don't cry. The lion of Judah's come. <laughs> he has conquered. He can open the scroll. Well, what do you look when you hear the lion has conquered? What do you expect to see when you turn around? Mighty warrior, armed in 
armor, you know, carrying a shield, carrying a sword, mighty in battle. <coughs> the kind of person who sees to conquer. These are joyful words. These are adrenaline words, right? You turn, hey, there's the one. You turn to see who it is. And you expect to see a glorious lion. You expect to see a majestic hero. And what do you see? In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. That's a strange-looking lamb. You know, we, talk, we do have to deal with apocalyptic style when we read Revelation, and we can get caught up in, in the look of this thing. And remember, it's not the look that we're looking for, it's what, what the look represents. Okay, seven horns. Horns represent kings or authority. Well, how do we know that? Well, if you go back to the book of Daniel, go back to the book of Daniel, and, and, and uh, I didn't even write down what chapter, I think it's chapter 7, that, that Daniel sees a vision, vision, and in this vision, he talks about a ram a ram with two horns, and it runs about and is conquering everything until all of a sudden a goat pops up with one horn. And this goat with one mighty horn goes up and it runs around and it crushes the ram with the two horns and, and destroys him. But then the goat is knocked down and four horns spring up, popping out into the other sections of the world. And you go, okay, Steve, thank you for sharing this. <laughs> I feel blessed now. Well, the thing is, is that vision is later explained. And as it's explained, we find that the, the, the ram with two horns is, is the, are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and Persians were two kings together uh, who conquered in, in, the time of, in the time of Daniel. And uh, a couple hundred years later, then up comes a, a, a Greek ruler, because they were told that this Greek, that, the, that, that a, a ruler uh, from Greece will come, a mighty one, and he will conquer them, but then his, he will fall and his kingdom will be divided up. And we know that this is Alexander the Great, and it was divided up. He, when he died, he didn't have an heir that lived, and it was divided among his four generals. And we can name them, and we can put dates and places to all these things. Well, so what do we find? Horns represent rulers. Horns represent kings. They represent authorities. We don't have to question this. We know it. And again, if you want to understand Revelation, it's the end of the book. The key to understanding Revelation is found earlier in the book. And so when we read the Lamb had seven horns, and we know that seven is a number of perfection and completion because we've read the book, and we know that horns represent authority because uh, we've read the book, then we know that this is a Lamb with all rule and authority. This Lamb is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is perfect. He is complete in this. The seven, the seven spirits are, or the seven eyes are actually a little bit easier for us because he says there's the seven spirits of God. We met them uh, last week and we, we talked about the seven spirits being the Holy Spirit. You know, and we talked a little bit in Sunday schools. We were in Hebrews and we were talking about the menorah, the lampstand in the holy, holy place uh, in the tabernacle. It was a seven-armed uh, lampstand. You know, basically, three of these things <laughs> and then one in the middle makes seven and it represented the Holy Spirit. And the seven spirits of God are representing the Holy Spirit. And so this lamb has all rule and all authority and is filled completely with the Holy Spirit. And so we walk around saying, uh, or recognizing that, that this is what's going on. Uh, you know, Jesus, in, he says, uh, excuse me, still in Romans, or Revelation, I mean, describing the seven, seven eyes. The seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Well, what's this sending out into all the earth? John told us in John chapter 14, Jesus, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, I, I'm going to go, but, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you another comforter that he may be with you always. 
And we, when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so as we are in all the world, the Holy Spirit is in all the world, right? There, there's no, no difficulty with this. The, the, we're talking about the lamb with the spirit. But for all this, the lamb still looks like a lamb that was slain. I mean, ignore the seven horns and the seven eyes for a minute because now we recognize all they're doing is telling us who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, uh, is, is, is that he is looking like he was slain. Why? Because that is how he gained the victory. He didn't gain the victory by being big and mighty and armored with a sword and a shield. You know, it wasn't his weapons like that. It was he gained the victory by his death. Uh, he he, the foe he conquered is death. And he conquered death by dying and rising again. And because he conquered death, he is worthy to open the book of life that no one else is worthy to offer, open. And so we get to the, the result of this, 7 through 11. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made him a kingdom and priest, made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And yet you have to recognize, because we did Revelation 4 last week. Remember I said that was glorious, but just wait till what comes next. I mean, what, what was before looks hollow and empty compared to what is now. We have, we, first we have they saying a new song, talking about, this is in, in, in verse 9, it, he's talking about the elders and the creatures, the ones who are already there. And then we have added to them myriads of myriads of angels, hundreds of thousands of angels. Is that millions of angels at this point? I, you know, what's 10,000 times 10,000? Uh, a lot of zeros, a lot of zeros. Uh, hundreds of thousands of angels, uh, and they're crying out. And then we have every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, those who are alive and those who are dead, are praising him, uh, the Lamb, and saying, to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Be and, you know, we have here a picture of why did God make man in the first place. The answer is, it was too empty around the throne. I mean, I don't know if that's the only answer, right? because, you know, uh, we, are, we receive blessing in this too. We're not just little praise machines. But, but, but as it is, we find out that when we praise, we are blessed. And, and, and God, you know, why did God do this? Because he wanted us. He wants this scene. And, and guess what? This scene is, is an amazing thing. Uh, the, the picture we saw last week is glorious, but it is poor compared to what we find here. The lamb is worthy because he was slain and bought people of every tribe and language and people and nation so that people in Davenport, Washington will praise his name. Wow. Talk about the utter ends of the earth. <laughs> Look around the scene, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders you find 
hundreds of thousands of angels praising the Lamb, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Uh, you deserve this into every creature under heaven and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures say, Amen, which might mean, Wow. <laughs> it means, Yes, so be it. And the elders fall down and worship. And there is only one in all of eternity, in all of the universe, who is worthy. No, no Buddha, no Muhammad, no Hindu, no, no guy making it up for his, himself. No guy who thinks, I can be my own God. There is no one by any means worthy but Jesus Christ, the Lamb who is slain. He is our God. He is our Savior. And He is worthy of praise. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we do praise you. Jesus Christ, the price you paid for our salvation was your own life. And you are worthy of all the praise we can give. And we do praise you. And we rejoice in what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.